Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and syndicated on missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. Please share and tag your friends who would really enjoy this show and any of our other shows. We are looking for guests on our Teen to Parent Talk series. If you know of a young adult between the age of 18 to 25 who would like to share their story, journey, or insights, please contact us at parentpumpradio at gmail.com. Last week, we talked on neglect and isolation, and this week, we are going to focus our second part on the abuse and how it affects the brain. Our guest is a world-famous neuroscientist, international best-selling author of numerous books, and a popular speaker on issues of mental wellness and global harmony. His extensive and rejuvenating works of science and philosophy has taught how the basic awareness of the brain can completely redefine our perceptions of life and help us live better lives. He has written 31 books on the human mind that covers a wide range of topics, including religions, relationship, parenting, education, discrimination, and various other issues of the society. As a leading thinker and neuroscience expert of the world, he has been bringing the awareness of the mind and the brain in the corporate, education, healthcare, and other sectors of society. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Abhijit Naskar. Hi, Abhi. Hello, Jacqueline. Welcome back. Pleasure to be here again. Yes. This week, let's tackle this topic about abuse. Before we do, tell me about how the brain works again for those listeners who weren't tuned in last week, just the development part of a child's brain. Let's just do a recap on it in brief. Yeah. The human brain is unlike any other animal brain. The animal, in the animal kingdom, those brains are born almost prepared for the things that they need to do in the wild. A dolphin is born swimming. A giraffe can walk in an hour after it's born. But the human brain is born almost unprepared. So it's born with the neurons, all the, almost all the neurons that are there and as same as in an adult, but the neurons are not interconnected. So those neurons start getting connected until about two years of age. And after that two years, those connections, the ones, those connections that we use in our daily faculties, daily life, those connections get stronger and the connections that we do not utilize, they get, they fade away, they get erased. So this way, the brain acts as a sponge. A baby's brain acts as a sponge and a mirror. The environment it is in, that influences the development of the baby's brain. In a healthy environment, the brain develops in a healthy manner. Unhealthy environment leads to various other mental issues and other kind of issues that will trouble the person throughout their lifetime. The impact of what we're talking about this week is abuse can be detrimental. And when we're talking about alcohol, drugs, and even mental illness coming into play, 
outside of just the regular abuse, this can be very detrimental just to society, just not alone the, in the family. But as these children are now going to the workforce and as parent, how do you see it affecting society? It is going to create basically deteriorating society, that society itself is going to get really shallow. Because the individuals who construct the society, they are being abused as kids. And when they are being abused physically or even psychologically, uh, mocked at and uh, laughed at even at their home, at their family, which is supposed to be the safest place for them. But that is like the, it's their home, yet it is not their home. So their brain is not in a healthy environment to develop healthy social skills, develop healthy emotional skills. And that is just the basic thing. The higher levels, uh, the extreme levels, those, that kind of abuse leads to serious mental issues that are going to affect that person. And when that person joins the society as an adult, the society itself is going to suffer from those mental issues. And again, we also have today that most of the society does not even recognize the mental issues in the first place as a kind of normal human problem. So in that case, there are, many of them are going to hide those issues. And when they hide them, those issues get even stronger, even more deteriorating on the person. So it's going to damage the individual. Is there anything else about the impact of abuse on a child that you can tell us? There are a lot of things about abuse. Because when we, are to, when we were talking about neglect in the last episode, we were talking about basic uh, emotional capacity. So those are also involved here already. Because as we said, that neglect is a kind of implicit abuse. But direct abuse is an abuse, especially uh, when we are talking about physical abuse. Let's just say slapping or uh, a kind of hitting with a hard object or all those stuff, especially if that is done anywhere near the skull, anywhere near the head, any kind of damage to the brain can lead to severe neurological conditions. When the brain is directly damaged with that, also when we are talking about abuse, often parents, uh, when they get too angry, they just get hold of their kid and they shake. Yeah, shaking baby syndrome. Yes, that also affects not just the brain, also the spinal cord. And in many cases, in extreme cases, that can also lead to brain damages, and it can even lead to paralysis. So what about corporal punishment like spanking? Because there's a lot of people in the, our society, this world, that believes in spanking. And they're just hitting the butt or they're slapping the child across the face. How is that damaging? Slapping the child across the face is, again, damaging to the brain, but it is also more damaging to the hearing. A person. Slapping can often lead to partial or complete hearing loss. And it can also affect the brain in areas such as pituitary gland and hypothalamus, which are also connected to a healthy development. It can also impact on the proper physical growth of that person. How about the butt? The butt, in case of spanking, it, is, it, it, is, it may not be directly connected to a kind of brain damage, but it is a kind of uh, connected to psychological punishment. So there again, it becomes psychosomatic, which is when the person is, in this case, the person's mind is being punished, not physically directly. Yes, it's hurting a lot, but it is not directly on the physical uh, uh, damage side to the brain. 
it is to the mind directly because the person on when it is happening on a daily basis the person loses the capacity to connect with the their parent as their parent but they more see this kind of hostile environment in home so why do you think parents become abusive often cases parents may have been abused they had abusive parents of their own and they often there are chances that they become abusive when they grow up so what happens is when they grow up and they become parents the first thing that they need to do is to, to prevent it is they need to recognize that if they have been abused as kids so there is a possibility especially if they have been abused at an early age as i said that the brain until about 2 years of age the brain is connecting after that 2 years that is the time when a person's real character uh, personality the mental domain all that comes in because then is the person is beginning to have his own thoughts and imaginations and various cognitive capacities being able to tie their shoes on their own they are developing various motor skills so especially right after 2 years that is the time that is most sensitive so the earliest a person is abused that keeps a long time mark on that kid and when that kid grows adult those brain damages that are already there they're not going to go away like that so that is very likely because that person also becomes prone to anxiety and stress level and high level of aggression that affects the person's execution of anger because the anger is directly connected to the prefrontal cortex the healthier the prefrontal cortex is they can keep their emotions in check because all our emotions and all that our uh, emotional elements whether it is anger happiness and all that they're coming from the limbic system the limbic system creates all our emotions and everything emotional center of the brain but they are coming through the controlled gateway of the prefrontal cortex but when the person has had an abuse abusive childhood and they've been abused by their parents their limbic system get more active and stay more active so they have less healthy prefrontal cortex so which means that they have less control over their emotions whether it is anger and stress and anxiety and when they do not have an actual neurological control over their emotions it is impossible for them to be able to not hurt their child when they are angry So I'm involved in being member for a couple of groups here in the US involving prevention of alcohol substance abuse and also mental illness. Uh-huh. How does a child growing up in a house with alcoholism that from their parents like seeing their parents drink too much or even mental illness how does that affect a child? Well as we said that the physical abuse affects the child directly on their brain. and on the other hand the alcoholism it affects on the child through the mirror neuron system so basically the child sees that parents are actually taking alcohol on a daily basis so they're seeing that the character of the child it kind of mirrors the characters of their parents what they see they learn they don't learn by the parents telling them do this this is a good thing to do love your neighbor and all that it doesn't work like that it becomes a teaching becomes a part of a person's character when they actually see that teaching be practiced by their parents their primary caregiver and when their primary caregiver is actually themselves they are uh, 
alcoholic and they're smoking constantly and excessively and uh, abusive all the time that is being imprinted in their brain that is very likely that they are going to develop in the same line of their parents' characteristics. And is mental illness affected the same way when the child is living with the parent that way? It is not so similar as alcoholism or physical abuse. When we are talking about a serious mental illness, when a person is bipolar, that brings in a lot of responsibilities on the person's side as well as their relatives. But the point is, when the child grows up, they will begin to recognize that it is not the person's fault, the parent's fault that they're bipolar. But it would have been already too late because the bipolar responses have already been imprinted on the child's brain. Because in case of bipolar, we are always seeing two extremes, either too much happy or too much sad and too much anxious, too much aggressive. So that becomes imprinted on the child's brain, especially at an early age. But when the child grows up, yes, that child is going to recognize that this is not the fault of the parent, that they are bipolar. But in this case, there has to be someone else that is taking care of that bipolar in the first place, either the person himself or herself or their relative, so that it doesn't appear in front of the child. Because if it does, then it is going to be imprinted on the child's brain as well. And does the emotional development of a child, what we talked about last week, compassion, love, empathy, is that also affected? In case of alcoholism, because alcoholism affects the brain in the first place and makes it also lose control over its own emotions. So which means the person loses whether they get too much angry in a normal situation or or, or when they're alcoholic. It is the same thing because they don't have control over their own emotions because their prefrontal cortex is not healthily active. And when their prefrontal cortex is not their healthily active, they cannot control their emotions and that, that is going to come out. So there are two things involved. One thing is alcoholism. The child is going to see that alcoholism and he may develop in the same line and become drunk as well as they grow up. And also the kind of lack of emotional control from that side, because when they are alcoholic, they often either become ignorant of the child, they start ignoring, which means the neglect comes in, or they, be, they lose control of their aggression and start talking nonsense, and that affects on the child's brain. So that directly influences the circuits of the brain, and they develop incapability of bonding with another person. Again, social skills, empathy, and all that together, as well as becoming alcoholism, becoming alcoholic themselves. So it does affect the emotional capacity of feeling empathy and love and compassion. And now they're looking at an increased chance of being alcoholics. Yes, that affects like in a two way. One thing is that they're seeing that they have alcoholic parents. Another thing is when they have alcoholic parents, their character, their personality, that also comes into play. Too much aggression, too much anxiety, too much stress or neglect and that effect as well. So is there a way to prevent becoming an abusive parent yourself if you were an abused kid? Yes. The first most important step is to recognize it, that how much damage has been done on the person's brain, on the self-brain. Because if there has been too much damage from the abuse, that is psychologically or physical damage, then recognizing it, that person can take action steps to actually keeping him or her from becoming abusive parents themselves. And there are counseling and therapies 
and all that. But the first problem is that people do not recognize that they have issues, they have problems. So the first step is that recognizing I have a problem and I may become an abusive parent. If I don't become, what is the problem? Is uh, There is no problem is just being that uh, I have a problem, let's just deal with it. And so that I don't create an unhealthy child or give an unhealthy environment for the kid. How late is too late for the kids to have healthy adulthood? Two years. That is the most important period. After that, when uh, let's just say four years until about seven years of time is extremely important. If a person grows in an environment with abuse until about seven years, then it is very likely that that person is going to develop that kind of characteristics of abuse and alcoholism and all that is very much possible. So if it has been like that, the person needs to recognize that and needs to take help when they grow up that it is very much possible. Let's just deal with it and fix it if there is something to be fixed. So it's really about first admitting that you came from a childhood like that and then seeking help. Is there a way to do it yourself, self-help, like reading books? Or is this, if you came from a, an abusive family, if you really need to reach out to someone else to help? The reaching out to help, that is an important step. It is, it is very much important. Again, if there are some children or teenagers who can recognize this at a very early age, unlikely but possible that they can recognize that uh, I have been abused. So meditation is the most effective way to make the brain healthy. And that can, you can do it yourself as a parent, or when you do it, your kids start to do it as they are seeing it, you are doing it. Yes. So it is both healthy for you and the kid. And the earlier a child does practice meditation on a daily basis, they don't need to do it like 30 minutes. They can just 10 minutes or 15 minutes every day. And that's enough to do a little bit of fixing in the brain if there has been any damage there in the first place. So it is the most effective way of helping yourself. I know meditation changed my life. At first, it was very difficult to quiet the mind. <laughs> but it does. But that is the problem. See, we often, yes, we often try to quiet the mind, but we cannot quiet the mind. So the brain needs to develop some connections to silence itself slowly, naturally. And the more, the more we try to force it to quiet itself, it cannot. It's the resistance. So it is just like sitting in silence and just be in the flow and eventually the mind become more silent. Yeah, it's like any exercise. It takes some practice to get done. Yes, meditation is the best exercise for the brain, like jogging into the heart and all the physique. Meditation is the best exercise for the brain, both for the kid and the parent. Yeah, and like you're right, your kids will emulate you because my kids, they'll go on to their iPad and pick out whatever song or guided meditation they feel they need at the moment, and they'll just listen to it on their own now before I used to have to gather them together. But now they'll do it on their own. Yes, the earlier they see that, they, because especially the uh, kind of curiosity, it is more active in, the, in an earlier kid than uh, at a very early age, three years, four years, asking too many questions and why and all that. So they are more curious than a teenager. No, so they are going to start emulating much more than a teenager. And when they do it at an early age, it already develops the brain in a healthy fashion. So what are some steps that parents need to take right now if they realize they're abusive to their children? If they are abusive to their children, first step is seeing that they're abusive and they don't 
feel guilt or any kind of shame in recognizing that they're abusive. First step is to recognizing, then seeking help from a counselor or a therapist or psychologist. And on top of that, at home, practicing meditation. So seeking help plus practicing meditation at home. Wow. Okay. So that meditation is a, it's almost like a prescription. (laughs) It actually is a prescription because we are more finding out the positive impact of meditation unlike ever before, because we are more studying the brain actual uh, in the moment, what's happening when a person is practicing meditation. We are finding out that uh, in a few studies we have found that just with the practice of eight months of meditation, the brain becomes a few times healthier than a person who does not practice meditation. And when means uh, brain becomes healthier means the cerebral cortex, which are all the executive skills and self-control and all that analytical skills, they become healthier when that cerebral cortex is healthier. So it actually becomes grow stronger connections, which means healthier connections, and that gives to healthy mind. Absolutely. Now, I'm looking at the children of, like we talked earlier, parents can't see that they are abusing the child. What are the signs of abuse when the children are being abused? Can society or people around, like teachers, can they recognize it? Often abused children grow distant with their peers. They don't engage with their peers like a normal kid who does not have an abusive parent. So in this case, this kind of distance, not being able to mingle with their peers is the best sign that they cannot communicate in a healthy fashion. But again, when we are talking about communicate, so we are not directly mentioning that it is directly connected to neglect or uh, abuse, but it is one of the signs that it is possible that the person either is getting neglected or abused, or perhaps he or she has some kind of communication difficulty. So that kind of distance between his or her, uh, his or her and the peers is a most important sign that the society or the teachers that they need to look for. And also, if they get too much anxious and stressed almost instantly, if they start panting or panicking very instantly. So that is also a sign of abusive parents. Anxiety attack, right? Panic attack is what you're saying. Yes, panic attack, right. Stress and anxiety. I mean, it's so hard to really gauge what stress and anxiety is and how much is too much. There's no parameter, or is there? In case of stress and anxiety, there is uh, not much parameter for them to really recognize it. But again, when a person is panicking, that is in case of panic attack, that can be recognized. The breathing gets heavier and the person starts sweating and shivering. And so those are uh, common symptoms of panic attacks. And that means that extreme level, extreme level of stress. Otherwise, the you know, usual circumstances, normal stress and anxiety, they're very much unrecognizable. Otherwise, panic attacks, they can see some signs that unusual behavior. And one of the things I learned was stomach pain is very related to anxiety and how the brain develops too, because I guess that stomach pain is where it holds it. The stomach pain is again connected directly to a kind of higher stress level. So it is a kind of psychosomatic response. When the mind is getting too much stress, again, person starts feeling too much heavy in the stomach. It is like the opposite of when the person feels butterfly. So butterfly in a good way, but this kind of stomach pain or heavy stomach in a bad way. When there are high levels of stress hormone, it affects the entire body. So it's not just about feeling stressed and anxious. 
it also makes the person feel something going on in the stomach. Usually, it doesn't have to be always just pain, just could be simply a kind of tension in the stomach. Yeah, and I, and I heard extreme constipation. Yes, yes, it is con- directly connected to the process of digestion. There's a kind of energy battle goes on between a healthy brain and rest of the body. The brain, the brain is very tiny, yet it takes about 20% of the body's energy. And that's why there is always a battle between the brain and the body, the who is going to take more energy. And when the brain is very much anxious and too much stressed, it takes a lot of energy from the food, which again puts a lot of focus and tension on the digestion itself, on the stomach itself. So it is like directly the stress level can also put focus and pressure on the stomach, which then puts directly connected uh, the pressure on like the symptom becomes constipation. Yeah, we have to look when it comes to anything related to the stomach, digestion, stomach pain, constipation, that there is a correlation to the stress and anxiety. There is direct correlation, yes, but not always. Uh, if a person is just having a normal constipation, we cannot say it's suffering from a kind of mental issue. But yes, there is a correlation. In extreme cases of stress, it doesn't always only come with constipation or stomach pain, and they also come with headaches and lack of sleep. Probably loss of appetite, right? Loss of appetite, right. So there are a lot of things that actually come together with extreme levels of stress and anxiety. Because when the mind is not healthy, the entire body is affected. And when the mind is healthy, again, the body is affected in a healthy fashion. Can it also affect the physical growth of a child? Yes, it can. When we say that it affects the body, which means we are talking about uh, the mind is unhealthy means emotional, cognitive, all those kind of deficits. When we are talking about proper physical development, we are talking about the development, the physical growth of a child. Normal physical growth, hips to body ratio, and proper functioning of sexuality, and all that together goes into the domain of physicality, the physique, the body right, development. Right. So the body and the mind is directly intertwined. Nothing is different except when. And there is a problem with the body, we go to the doctor and see it. Yes, we have a problem, let's deal with it. And when we have a problem with the mind, we don't even see it as if it doesn't exist. But just because we don't see it or deny it doesn't go away. In fact, the more we resist it, the stronger it becomes and it starts affecting on the body even more. And I think sometimes we see kids running around the playground and they're laughing and they're smiling and we think, oh, they're happy and they're fine. But it's what's underneath that's going on. Because that's how that stress and has anxiety is not always going to be looking sad. When we are talking about uh, after two years until about seven years, the signs are more likely that the person is going to show signs of sadness and anxiety. And also, so it is more likely to show in case of when that person is abused and stressed. Because it starts to show those kind of symptoms in every single situation. And because the brain has not yet developed the kind of brain response to deal with that, after that, when the person becomes a teenager, then then that person may grow a kind of defense mechanism to pretend that as if they are happy, but that comes much later. But in an early age, they are basically going to show what is actually going on inside them. They don't yet have the brain capacity to pretend or show something else that's not inside. So under 12, you're saying they don't have the capacity to pretend that it's not happening. When we're talking about brain development, we don't have an exact age. Let's just say 
two years is the earliest time. Right. Then after that, around seven years. So that seven years, let's just, we can stretch it a few years or reduce it a few years. Yeah. So during about seven years, which means we can go on like 10 years. So that's seven. And after that, until about 15 years, 15 years is like all the characteristics of a teenage brain comes along and all that. But for a kid, the standard time would be around seven to 10 years. Okay, got it. Wow, that's very fascinating. So we are actually out of time, but I want to thank you for sharing with us all this powerful knowledge so that we can learn more about how our child develops and how we can be better parents so that we're not creating a another generation of children who can't control their emotion, who are unsympathetic and be better people. Yes, because often it is, in fact, we are seeing more and more that the generation is becoming less empathetic, that they are becoming more conscious of their self-image, their virtual image, actually, on the uh, social media and all that. So, yes, if we do not really focus on this as the parents, then we are going to create a generation of robots and with less social skills and empathy and sympathy. So basically, we're going to create mechanize the whole generation if we don't actually give attention now. Yeah, I agree. So if you want to know more about Nabi, his website, his Amazon webpage and his email are all in the show notes. He's written 31 books. So you should at least go and buy one of those books and uh, learn more about him, about yourself, and about your family. And thank you again, Nabi. It's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure, Jacqueline. Thank you. And listeners, until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.